0: Welcome to the Recovery Stories podcast, bringing you stories of hope, healing, and triumph over the bondage of addictions, mental health struggles, trauma, and dysfunctional family systems. Our courageous storytellers have chosen to live their journey out loud in order to show others that they don't have to suffer in silence. The stories you will hear are raw, real, and may involve graphic and triggering content. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's rooted alumni community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or are ready to take the next step, call our Admission Center at 888-648-4098 or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help.
1: Hello, and welcome to this episode of Rooted Recovery Stories. My name is Patrick Custer, and I'm your host. As always, I'm so glad that each and every one of you are joining us, whether it's live or on replay later. Um, Today, I am extra, extra excited to introduce our special guest uh, speaker. She's a trauma survivor, LGBTQIA advocate, licensed mental health therapist, and most importantly to me, a dear, dear friend of mine, Ashley Hampton. Welcome.
2: Hi, I'm excited to be here.
1: Oh, I'm so excited to have you. So um, today's episode is going to be different than anything we've ever done before. So I wanted to make a little bit of a disclaimer for everybody listening or watching. Um, Ashley's story involves trauma surrounding childhood, um, spiritual abuse associated with being raised in what she and many other people have identified as a cult. Um, So in saying that, figured let's knock this out of the way and talk about what the Oxford Dictionary defines as a cult. Uh, They say it's a system of religious veneration and devotion directed towards a particular figure or object or a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. So uh, given that definition, I think I know myself and probably many of us can um, identify things in our lives that might fall into that very simple category um, but if we go go into further uh definitions of of what a cult is under that umbrella and when we we think of the the, the definition of a cult and how actually you identify what you're talking about um, it involves one very specific thing, many other things, but one specifically that I'd like to highlight, what uh, we refer to as spiritual abuse. Um, WebMD defines it as any attempt to exert power and control over someone using religion, faith, or beliefs. Can be any, That can be any form of spiritual abuse. And it's not limited to one religion, denomination, or group of people. It can happen to any religious group as an element of child abuse elder abuse or domestic violence so you know as we as we say those things i think it's important to also couple this with um neither ashley nor myself or this podcast are coming out um in any stance that is anti-spiritual uh whatsoever this is merely to highlight someone's experience uh, growing up and uh, how it affected them. So if you're still listening, I hope this uh, brings this story brings some some uh, clarity and encouragement to you today. And I'm excited to dive right in, actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is the first time I'm going to get to hear a lot of your story. And I um, I'm excited to hear it because I love stories um, and because I'm your friend <clears throat> so starting off when you're a kid let me back up real quick you were born into this church right
2: well yes so my parents got married well they they were pregnant with me and then they got married at 19. And while I guess they're pregnant with me, or I'm just getting born is kind of Mm -hmm. when they got introduced to this church that they were in. Um, and so I think I, just to kind of highlight what you said, and I think one of the more important parts of those definitions is the idea of power and control. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my parents both came from single parent, um, households, um, you know, kind of in really hardship, financial hardship, and they're Mm -hmm. pregnant with a kid at 19. And so enters this church that is a lot of power and control and structure. And I think growing- And has
1: all the answers to life's questions that, yep.
2: Yeah, well, answers to life questions, but even I think more enticing than that is a roadmap to get beyond where you are. You know, when you have folks who- move as experts and can kind of lay out ground rules right wrong black white do this and you will get this i think for them at that age and in that particular space of life that they were in that was really 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 enticing
1: Mm -hmm. that makes all the sense in the world yeah um so what is your earliest memory period. Then in that church, as I would say. I
2: honestly, I, I do not have a lot of early memories, um, Mm -hmm. in general, which I, I think is pretty common for folks who have experienced trauma. Um, but what I remember because a lot of my family was involved in the church as well, is like I remember being little and feeling like a sense of family and community. Mm-hmm. like we go to this place on this night, we go here on so I remember like a lot of family involvement mm-hmm. and just a lot of i mean, it's a lot of involvement and it and as mm-hmm. a child, it I don't think that that felt bad um, right
1: well. You know, you know as humans we seek connection right like that's we we need that it's yeah. one of our basic human needs and it's one of the things that um well faith in general most faiths i think <laughs> but, uh are centered around bringing people together in connection um again though when you find a, a, a sect a religious sect um that is doing harm that that connection becomes toxic um, mandatory. Um, you know, it comes with all these rules, right? You don't see that as a kid. Um, so here's a, an area that I'd like to point out. I think every great podcast I've listened to that talks about a cult mentions this. And it's a good theory. And I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, this aha light, you know, shined in my head. Uh so forgive me if everybody listening has already heard this, but I think it's worth sharing. You know, the metaphor of the frog in the pot. Yeah. right? So if you take a frog in a boiling pot of water, and you put the frog in the boiling pot of water, it's going to, be to immediately jump out. But if you put a pot, a, a frog in lukewarm temperature water in a pot, and then put that pot on the, the stove and slowly turn up the heat, that frog is going to die because it doesn't sense enough danger in the slow temperature acceleration. Yeah. And so you know, it's often compared in that metaphor to people getting involved in harmful things, whether it's harmful behaviors or whatever. Um, But specifically, in this case, we're talking about how people can get mixed up in a um, uh, potentially harmful group of people. And so, you know, I can totally see how your parents would have done that not you know unknowingly right that's how we talk about adults getting it but you didn't have that option as a kid you're one of those people that you grew up in this was your reality you knew from the beginning
2: yeah and and i think i don't And i love that you use that analogy because i didn't really i don't think start to feel like something didn't feel aligned with my spirit until Mm -hmm. probably like middle school early high school because in the church that I grew up in, we were taught, you know, this building and all of our other buildings around the United States and around the world are the only buildings where you can go to heaven. So any other church, any other religion, it's like not, not the space.
1: So let's take a minute to talk about that because I am, this is, this is a, this is a church that that kind of centered around talking about themselves referring to themselves as christians right
2: yes and okay. more specifically when you became a member of the church you were considered uh-huh. a disciple
1: like right. so wow. there are disciples
2: so, versus non-disciples yep yeah
1: so you know the the christian faith um i consider myself part of and i'm 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 personally that's my walk i you know i follow Christ um and uh but i think that it is you know we've got all these different denominations and lots of non-denominational churches and things um but what's different here and i'd like to identify because some people might hear us talking about a church and they you know they're going oh y'all are just being you know anti-religious and you know um whatever whatever you want to put a label on that not true we're talking about a place that called itself a church that denied all other forms of following yeah. Christ, um, all other denominations, um, and so I think that that's something that sticks out. When uh, to me, <clears throat> when um, you know you look at some type of of red flag that happens,
2: and um, and right? I want to name something too, Patrick. So yeah. what you just said really brings up a great point because this church, you know, was founded by a person, by a a person, Mm. by a man who, um, really created the doctrine at which the church followed. And do you you know, know
1: when, uh, when did, when was it created ish?
2: I'd say eighties ish.
1: Oh, wow. So that recent.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so what I love about what you just said is we didn't follow Christ in that church, in my opinion. Now, there may have been some people that were, but I really feel like we were following um, the Bible talk leaders, the deacons, all of the people in charge, because we weren't necessarily going to God like in um, prayer or meditation or sitting out under a tree and just thinking we were calling someone and saying, hey, this is what's going on. What do I do like like the amount of control? The, yeah, the amount of rules and invasiveness of others was so pervasive. And to this day, that's something where I don't often make choices single-handedly. Like I still feel the need to like, who can I call? Like Who, who can I run this by? Because I do think that that is kind of ingrained in me of the mm-hmm. idea of like, oh, wait, can I just go and sit and, and seek and find an answer? That has been one of the hardest things that I've had to like deconstruct and let like go of, yeah. and try to kind of relearn and reclaim for myself.
1: Yeah. So I'm i te- I'm going to tease out two things that you just touched on there. Okay. Um, you know, free will and the power of choice. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so in high control groups, which again is the type of cult that we're talking about that is what we deem to be harmful and you know, that, that, um, causes spiritual abuse. You've got high control and they really, um, and a lot of times it's a sneaky way, remove your power of choice. They say you have choice to choose whether or not to follow what we're saying, but if you don't follow us, you're going to lose all your connections. You're going to lose, the support of us you're going to be excommunicated you're going to lose your family you're going to lose any type of i mean so at that point do you You'll to lose?
2: lose your salvation i mean i i i can't tell you how many times like as a child you hear about someone leaving the church and like they're going to go to hell like there's mm. no there's no conversation around that it is just if you're not here then you're you're not going to to have a good life, right? Your life is going to fall apart Mm -hmm. and you're, you know, there's no no room for redemption, I guess, is kind of Mm. what I felt like was lacking all the time. Wow. Or the only way to be redeemed was to go back there. There's no personal room for growth and healing because it's so dependent on this building and the people in that building. Mm which wow. i think really robs us of our control and teaches us that we can't strive for health or we can't strive for good unless we're a part of this group. Right. And i think that's the saddest thing because when you're not there anymore how do you how do you learn or know how to find that for yourself if you've relied so heavily on the support of others for so long. That's right. That, that's the hardest and saddest part i think about the whole whole situation.
1: Mm-hmm. So um you know from from an early age, what do you remember made you all different than the rest of the world? We were right you know, what, and they were wrong. Your belief system that they yeah. developed yeah. for you. We
2: were right and they were wrong. Um I knew very early on as a child and I think that this is a, it's, I can't distinguish if this is my natural nature as a person or if it was so ingrained, but I can make very quick judgments in my life. My, my skill of discernment is really, really high, but I think that that's a lot of drilling almost of good, bad, right, wrong, heaven, hell. And so, um, you know, early on, there was just a ton of church involvement. I wasn't really allowed to go to friend's churches. I don't think I ever got to go to a friend's church growing up, but we were highly encouraged um, to invite friends to our church. And so Mm. inviting people to church was something that was really, really pushed. like. You know, you're you're at Kroger and they're like, go talk to that stranger and invite them to your church and tell them about your church and um so like things like that i think were kind of isolating because there there is a sense of othering when the only time you can like share in faith or religion or or sundays is if they're with you um mm-hmm. so that was a huge huge thing um that we kind of experienced and really i felt a lot of kind of control around the types of friends that I could have, you know? Um, and so uh, the inner rebel in me would often just invite all my friends to come to church so I could have sleepovers just because I wanted to be able to hang out with them. And I'm like, we're gonna bring them to church and it'll be great. Right. So I, I think I learned early how to try to work the system a little bit.
1: That's awesome.
2: Um uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, like if I liked the boy, I'd be like, hey, my friend wants to come to church because that's another huge thing is in this church. Um, and I, I I should say that and I guess we'll probably get to there, but there were big changes that happened. Um, but before the changes that happened, dating outside of the church was like not an option. And mm. so when you become a teenager, um, the boys asked girls on date night, like every I don't know if it was Friday or Saturday, and you had to go like it was highly encouraged slash you have to go. And, and and the whole God, like the idea was so that you can get the dating experience, but it's within people in your church, right? So like, so
1: if you didn't go, what would ha- would, would you? I be, did not
2: go? I don't know the answer to that.
1: What do you think would have happened? Did you ever know
2: anybody who didn't go? No. I mean, I, I'm i sure there were people who didn't. My parents were the type of people who wanted to like almost have, they had leadership positions, not super, super high up, but enough to where the idea of like, Ashley, you're a leader was put in my brain as like a Seven year old, go invite that person to church, lead them on their way. So, the pressure to this person asks you on a date and you're going to tell them no, that's not very right. nice. So, even if you don't like them, you just go because it would be so mean and harmful not to. And I'm just not a mean person. And so, um, when your parents are like, I'm not saying you have to marry this person, like, it wasn't like my parents were like, you have to go on this date and like this person. They're just like, you do just have to go. It'll be fun. It's good for you to connect in that way. So while it was awkward and uncomfortable, um, it was just a part of what we did. And so, you know, you'd go on the date, the boy would write you a thank you card and give it to you on Sunday and like thanking you for the date. And then I just prayed it it wouldn't happen again, you know? And I mean, and the thing about these dates were it wasn't, I mean, we're in a group with our friends, with adults, mm-hmm. because there's no alone time. Like, you don't like hold hands with another person or kiss another person unless you're getting married. Like that doesn't even happen. So mm-hmm. like, there, it wasn't necessarily like I was being forced to go on like romantic or intimate dates, if that makes any sense. So it didn't mm-hmm. feel super risky on my end. Gotcha. More so just really uncomfortable and awkward. Right. And like, I can't imagine making my daughter do that now. And in fact, I would encourage the opposite. Like, I would be like, don't go on a date with someone that you're not interested in because that could hurt their feelings, you know? Like, that's how my brain would work.
1: Well, but if you're in an us versus them type control group, religious sect, um, the only option is to, you know, build relationship within from within. And your your options are limited. (laughs) And, you know, that's how, that's what it looks like in all of these situations and scenarios. I wanna loop back really quick and ask you a question. Okay. Um. So I know when we were talking about defining what was different about your church versus other churches, you said it was just very high control in us versus them. But I'd like to ask you to revisit, if you will, <clears throat> if you had to give a pitch on why your church was right, others are wrong. The leader got this word from God. in whenever they founded the church, what is it that they got? That's different? What was that message? The Yeah,
2: yeah, I think that the difference was, is we make holier people you so i guess let me explain a little bit of like the the rules okay so you go to church you know sunday wednesday which is pretty standard um but then you have okay there's a couple of things and these are this is where it's a little complex so let's say i'm a teenager every summer there's a church camp you go to this camp and on the last night or the couple of nights towards the end They do this um, stargazing Bible talk where they it's one thousand and ten percent guilt around Jesus and the cross. Okay, and it's it's this message that you're a child and you should get baptized like ASAP because this thing happened. Um, And so what would happen? What would I notice the pattern? And I was a part of this pattern. This this is my story as well. You go to camp, you hear this, and then your parents and everyone's like, okay, when are you ready to study the Bible? They have a series of studies that you do. Um, I believe there's like eight or nine. Um, And you do that with a peer, like with, with the leader. So I was with the teen group. So you're doing it with your teens. And throughout these studies, yes, you learn about Jesus, but you also learn um, about the structure of the church. And there is, was one called like counting the cost or something like that, where it's literally like, these are the rules. You don't lie. You don't cheat. You don't steal. You don't smoke. You, I mean, if you drink, you better not have more than one. If there's no sex before marriage, if you made out with your partner. So the thing is, is you, let's say anyone does those things. You have to confess it to your leader, to your disciple partner, Um, And during the studies to become a disciple, there is one where you're confessing all of your sins, Mm. literally. So everything that I just named and you have to and and what I had a friend who was a a child like me um, who didn't confess something that was very personal um, that everyone does. And um, they said like when he finally confessed, they were like, your baptism didn't count. You have to redo everything. I mean, wow. so there was this belief that within this church, you don't sin. Lying is a sin. If you lie, you've sinned, you go to hell. So fear. And,
1: and there's no redemption for sin after like if
2: you The the redemption would be you tell someone like you, you literally have to tell your discipler. And then you kind of like, repent, and they're gonna follow up with you on it. Hmm. So
1: was that information? Do you feel like that information was ever used against people in a harmful way?
2: When I was 13. I was like, in a group of girls. And I was kind of like the leader of like four girls and one of them had sex with their boyfriend. And I knew that. And I knew that I'd have to tell on them. Like, because you have to confess. Like, and then the the belief is if you don't confess this sin, you literally will go to hell. So I'm like, please just tell them. Like, please just tell them I I don't want to have to do it. And I don't want right. you to have to like. And so absolutely it's used against you in the sense of what I did is is so wrong i have to tell another person about it and like where is that it, it, it there there was no room also does
1: that go so like does this so does that person tell their discipler and then that person ha- tells their upline and that person tells their upline?
2: absolutely and so and there's so, no privacy there's no sense of anything so if you heard yeah. that someone smoked cigarettes the whole church would know. I mean, like, mm. it wasn't. So the reason I think that they felt set apart is because they tried to control human behavior, aka sin, mm. in my opinion, you know,
1: again, another example of removing choice,
2: no choice. Um, and, and that was probably the hardest thing, I think, too. It's like, when you find out that someone is a repeated sinner, or someone just keeps doing wrong things or in our church being gay, you, you went to hell. I mean, there, if you were gay, which people came into our church gay and then they weren't anymore. um, That was okay. (laughs) Uh, But the moment they were gay again, because that's not something you can just wish away in my opinion. um, We couldn't interact with those people anymore. Like Something that I think was used a lot in our church was this uh, this idea of hate the sin, but love the sinner. And I know that's not a foreign concept, but.
1: Right. That, you hear that. You hear that's that. part of the Christianese we hear. You um, hear all, it. All across the church. I've heard my whole life. And, and I kind of I have like a.
2: Ew. Oh, I, if, to that statement. It's, it's 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 harmful in so many ways. Because what, we, what we're looking at is, okay, let's say for, for gay folks, which I, I am, you know, and mm-hmm. you, you, you're like, they're sinning, they're wrong. Well, how do you hate that, but love them? That mm-hmm. it's not, that's not how the human brain works. Like you can't do that really. And so there was a lot of isolating of people. And I think that that, that was, that part right there was really the turning point for me and my involvement in that church
1: okay so i want to come back to that in just a second but quick question if we're talking about that phrase hate the sin love the sinner but when somebody does something wrong and they don't confess it or whatever and they're exiled from the church how are you told to then hate the sin love the sinner, or are you no longer supposed to love the sinner? once they're outside of the I church. I
2: think you love the sinner from afar. Okay. I think you I think you love them and maybe pray for them and maybe reach out to them to try to bring them back to church. Mm. But I don't know that there's a lot of room for and I mean I it, there are there are high control group churches, cults that I've seen do this way more extreme than mine. I do want to name that. We weren't told you can't talk like but like it was something that you you had to be careful of or or more of a taboo like this Mm -hmm. this person they're lost and we separate ourselves from them even if it's not um relationally in our minds
1: so talking about the different types of exile um that we see in cults right the different ways that it's exercised um and in, in many forms, we see the uh, this the strictest of if people don't come, when you join the cult, if people don't come with you in your life, you have to cut them off. If they leave the cult, and you're close to them, you must cut them off. Absolutely, and completely. And I just wanted to highlight that while that is bad, <laughs> and harmful. Um, you know, something that we see so often when we're describing traumatic spiritual abuse that people have to recover from is something that you're defining which is shame and guilt driven existence and ways of being judgment how you make your decisions every day um now we're all guided by a sense of right and wrong and we should be that's it's human nature and we're taught what's good what's bad and every you know form of, of society has their own right ways that they look at that and define that. But, but um, when it is manipulated so severely that you are taught to second, third, fourth, fifth time guess yourself on are you really making that your eternal salvation is teetering on how much you truly invest in this person and the appropriate distance you stay away from them and whether or not your involvement with them is directly related to getting them back in the pond or you know whatever right so that sets about a lifelong shift or a lifelong pattern of um not being able to trust necessarily yourself I would think that's what I'm wanting to uh, getting at. I'm wanting to ask you, did that Uh, cause issues in being able to, to judge relationships for you?
2: I think it causes issues in that. And I also think it causes codependency issues Mm -hmm. because you believe that you have the power to change someone. Mm. You are taught that if you, you know, prayed with this person enough went on walks with this person enough Talked to this person enough you could bring them back and change them which i think is is it's it's probably one of the harder relational pieces here is the belief that we as humans have power and control over others lives Right. wow and which we just don't you know that's right and when you expect children to have power and control over other children that i think is so dangerous and harmful yeah i think harmful is um the word you know the the feeling it's just you are causing immense harm when you expect children to handle things um that really one aren't their business but two are not children problems to have
1: mm you put that very well. Yeah. So uh,
2: lots of experience there, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So leading into your teen years, um, cause I know this is when you started, you know, the red flags started to come up and, um, you started to ask yourself some questions. You're getting exposed a little bit more to the outside world and, um, you know, what happened for you at that point to, um, make you start asking questions and, and, and saying well, something's not right.
2: Yeah. I went to, um, art schools growing up and so we were surrounded. I was surrounded by lots of gay, gay kids. Um, and, um, so at that point I didn't necessarily identify as gay or anything like that because it was so not an option. Like it was just I didn't even that was like not even anywhere in my brain, which is something that I hear all the time from folks who have experienced really high control churches and groups. It's like. Not even a thing, so um, I would have a lot of friends and then there would be kids at the church who, you know, would would share that they were gay or things like that. And it was like you can't be their friend or. Like you can be their friend, but you need to know that they're like not going to go to heaven or unless they change. So mm-hmm. um, when I was 16, I remember um, having this 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 reaction of like, OK, well, if my friends are going to go to hell for being gay, um, I should go to hell for being prideful and loud and like cutting people off, like all the things that I did. And so. Um, when I like, so at that point, though, I was a disciple, like I had completed the studies, I did the work, I, you know, was in the system, so to speak, mm-hmm. Um, you have to tell them that you're leaving. Um, you like have to say, okay, I'm falling away. That's what it's called. And so,
1: and what happens when you do that? <laughs>
2: um, first i tried. first i just got a job and like tried to just work every sunday and wednesday <laughs> i was like maybe i can avoid telling my parents that um i don't believe what they believe and maybe i can avoid telling my peers and so i started just working like i begged my bosses to schedule me <laughs> on sundays and wednesdays um and that worked for a while until it didn't and so um i had to tell my parents and it was really interesting because we lived very close to the teen leader at the mm-hmm. time um and so i told my parents i was like listen if gay people go to deserve to go to hell so do i like i just i don't believe in this anymore i don't think it's right it doesn't make sense to me and um my my mom like literally started crying and was like just it was a just de- devastation and my dad said something to me that i think changed the course of my life and like i i am i'm grateful for these words now but he said to me you're willing to like give up your salvation and you're willing to go to hell for a group of people you aren't a part of mm-hmm. and in that moment like i thought about that separation like we've been talking about you versus them and i just It made me think of Jesus and I'm like, okay, Jesus hung out with people in groups that he was not a part of and he loved those people and he didn't separate himself from. So in that moment, I was just like, yeah, that's, that's, I I had this probably one of the few moments in life where I actually, what I now believe was like the voice of a higher power saying, yes, that is exactly what I'm saying. I will choose what feels right for groups of people that I'm not a part of every single time. And so they were like, cool, go tell your leader now. So I had to walk to the person's house and do the same thing all over again. Um, Which I think we can talk about this and it's like a, like a story, but I think like as a therapist and like doing my work now, I don't, Personally, feel it. There's still a level of detachment when I talk. I don't feel a lot when I talk about this. But if I were to think about a 16 year old having to do this, I just think that in and of itself is trauma.
1: I was about to say, your parents sent to you to walk by yourself to this per- person's house. I mean, granted, they're a trusted servant of the church,
2: and they were my friend, and all of those. Yeah, but but and. And it wasn't met kindly. Um, You know, they they said to me, and I will also never, ever forget this. They said, Ashley, I never knew that you were so weak in character. And again, a moment of like, that's not true because I'm the most charismatic person that I've ever known in my entire life. So that didn't feel true to me either. So when I left there I was like okay I, I took it and then I left there I left feeling a thousand pounds lighter. Of course. Because in my spirit I felt like that's not the way. I felt that knowing of that's just not the way and if it is I don't want a part of it. Mm-hmm. And so that night um when I walked away from their house I walked away with peace. Mm. Um which which but i
1: think the first time you experienced that level of peace in your life
2: you know i i never thought about that but my first reaction and kind of if i sit with what you just said i feel like the answer is yes mm. because it didn't feel like there was judgment anymore that i had to carry because essentially every member of that church at that time was playing a mini god right was playing a mini like judge and ruler yep. and so to be able to put that burden down hell yeah it felt good yeah yeah
1: wow. so what happened after that were you persecuted well
2: I going, no i stopped going to church people you know people would reach out but at that point i was i mean the hard park was done so i wasn't gonna I was just kind of like, no, not doing that. And like, I felt relief because they would come to my school at lunchtime when I was in high school and like, want me to gather my friends for a Bible talk. Like it was all the, so I could go to my lunchroom and eat my lunch and not be bothered by someone trying to get me to have a Bible study at school. I felt relieved. Um, But then I would say that I got really angry and not necessarily with that church or the people, but with God and Christianity as a whole. And so I would say for five, six, seven, Mm -hmm. eight years, I just had a huge aversion and aggression towards christianity christians god or jesus and that didn't change really until i started grad school at trevecca um and it and i think that that was such a unique experience because you know i mean I wait
1: but- before we get to the unique experience at trevecca i want to touch on what made you decide to become a therapist. And what made you decide what made you feel safe enough to do it at because let me let me back step for a second. You just hit on something huge. Your definition when you grew up, you were told you all were the only disciples and the only Christ followers, everyone else was was fraudulent. Right. But then when you left, there was a knowing and a truth that there's more to this. And there's so many people that claim Christianity even outside this sect that I grew up in, but it's all the same for me. And I'm angry at all of it, even though all these people didn't have that. I
2: knew there was other sects.
1: And so that makes sense to be angry because your only reference for who God is Christ you know, all the things was through the lens that you were raised in. But what made you feel safe enough to go to a Christian school at that point to pursue your education and want to become a therapist?
2: Well, I wanted to be an actress first, (laughs) Um, but I didn't have the guts to move to New York. And so I actually really went through a a pretty depressed season of life, a very that that the time when I graduated high school and the beginning years of college were like some of the darker years of my life of just like purposelessness and despair. (laughs) Um, And so when I decided that I wasn't going to do acting, it was kind of like, well, what else are are you good at? And my dad was like, you have to go to school, period. So again, it's that oh, I don't really have that much of a choice. Mm -hmm. And so um, I took a psychology class and I really, really enjoyed it. And so I just took more psychology classes. Um, And I think that that was the beginning of like practicing presence for myself of like, if something feels right and good in this moment, then I'm going to just pursue it. Mm -hmm. I didn't think too far in the future. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about Am I going to become a therapist? That was not a thought. It was, I have to do this school because I have to. Yeah. So what yeah. can I take? That's going to make me not fail again. Cause I did fail the first time. <laughs> and so psychology was the thing. And so that's when I got my bachelor's and I graduated and quickly realized that I couldn't get a job that I wanted, um, in, in anything with, with a bachelor's in psychology. And so I love, people and talking and connecting. And I feel like my whole life, I've always been someone that talks to folks and that meets people where they are. And like, I really try to provide a safe and co- like, I just, I'm a talker and a connector. That's just mm-hmm. what I naturally do. And so um I was working with my mom actually at the time um, and I was just like, I can't do this forever. And so that is when I was like, I'm gonna look for, I'll become a counselor. I'll mm-hmm. get a master at least in counseling. Um, and I'm in Nashville. So there's not a lot of programs that do that. So I wasn't going to go back to Murfreesboro. That's where I did my undergrad. And I did not like Murfreesboro <laughs> it was not my place. I didn't feel I didn't fit in there. Yeah. Um, and so that's when my options were very limited. And so I picked Rebecca. <laughs> there wasn't, I didn't even think about the, career, because that part was so shut off. Mm. I wasn't moving from the lens of Christian. Ver- I just wasn't thinking about okay. it. Like it was yeah. just like, I, it's a, it's a school that's close to my house that does what I want.
1: Yeah. So um, had you, cause I don't know the answer to this. Had you begun to do your own work at that point on, you know, in therapy, or was that after you became, after you, after you started going to the school to become a therapist?
2: So um i started therapy before grad school um but honestly that wasn't the the church piece kind of got brushed over a lot and i think it's because um i was in the south and i think that processing religious re- the, the term religious abuse quite often makes folks feel uncomfortable. Right. Let alone religious trauma. And so I don't know that my therapist said to me that was religious abuse and trauma that you experienced. I think that it was once I became a therapist that I started to put those pieces together. Mm -hmm. Um, So my therapy was more processing what it's like having parents involved in something so dogmatic Mm -hmm. and authoritarian and just a lot of the you know harm caused there right but i don't know that it was deeply rooted in anything to do with the church that i grew up in yeah um there was more processing around you know when you grow up in a a space that expects humans to not be human. There's a lot of hypocrisy Mm -hmm. and double standards. And and so like as a child or teen or young adult, you see people kind of moving in ways that don't feel honest and aligned. And Mm -hmm. so that was a lot of, again, other little traumas of breakdowns and trust that I had to later process in therapy. So that's really what I was processing, um, not necessarily the church stuff.
1: Gotcha. So you go through school, you learn more, and you yeah. end up try, you know, you realize there's more to process you uncover, you know, and I, I wanted to, as you're saying that, you know, I'm thinking about people watching, and I love that you touched on the fact that we're in the south. Um, <clears throat> so for those of you <laughs> who haven't gathered, we both live in the same city, we're Nashville, Tennessee. And, um, you know, I definitely thought about this long and hard before we did this episode, because I know that many people listening might be upset when they hear this because they think that we're just describing many churches. Um, We may be describing a similarity between some churches and what? what I the message that I want people to hear, and I know Ashley wants people to hear is the harm and abuse that takes place when things go too far. And for many of us, it's difficult to identify those and stand up and say, "Mm, this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. This feels like the human will pushing something that may have been originally based in goodness too far. And, and, and that I, I just, I just kind of want to call that out and identify and say, you know, um, it's, it's through such deep and personal therapeutic work that people, um, like Ashley have been able to get to a place to identify those things and and piece them in part. And by no means are we saying, are we saying that you know uh faith is a cult in and of itself or christianity is a cult in and of itself it's the behaviors that we're talking about the structure and the control um it's harmful in the the ways, excuse me, in the ways that we're describing. And, um, so I hope that message is loud and clear, um, and the differentiation there for all of our viewers and listeners.
2: And I think, you know, a bigger differentiation or another distinguishing thing is, um, for me, the messages and the things that I was being taught mm-hmm. didn't sit well within my spirit. Yeah. So that that is the harm, right? That for me, it didn't mm-hmm. feel aligned with who I am in my core. Um, and so, you know, when I when I started to go to Trevecca, I will never forget. They're like, this is a Christian university. In our interviews, they're like, this is a Christian university you know, you're aware of that or how do you feel about that? And I was I was like, yeah, the the Jesus statue gave it away, like in the middle <laughs> of campus. And they were like, well, wait until the holidays. We adorn him in different robes. And I was just like, someone like it, it just it was this moment of like, oh, my gosh, like this doesn't feel unsafe, Um, you know, as a as a master student. I know when you're an undergrad, it looks a little different there. Um, but for me. It felt like we can jo- we can joke about this in a way. Um, and then the first day of class, our director of the program at the time said a prayer for us, and I was like, "Oh God!" Like prayer was like it still kind of like sent shockwaves through my body um, because our prayers in our church were often very self deprecating. They were very much. I mean, they were literally, again, you are abusing yourself through prayer, begging for someone to make you better. There was no, like gratitude praying or like like that didn't exist. It was a very self, self-deprecating space. Um, but so he prayed and he literally prayed for us to feel comfort and ease and safety. And I was just like, That was a moment where I was like, oh my God, this is gonna be so interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that 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 prayer by that person was like the beginning of like the ice around my heart melting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that over the course of my time there, it just melted more and more because I got to see folks who identified as Christians but they weren't saying the things that were said to me by the Christians that I knew growing, mm-hmm. um, and so that was when I realized that there were other types of Christians, because mm. I did not know that before. Yeah. Um, and so learning that there are other types of Christians was huge, and then learning that there were like Christians that believe in like loving people and not controlling people. And then like free choice is a concept that I still to this day mm-hmm. am getting. Like I'm, I married a woman who who is is incredible with, which, you know, you obviously know her, but mm-hmm. who literally, I mean, when we first met and we're becoming friends she would spend hours explaining to me free choice because of my, my reaction is like, well, why did this happen? Like in my head, everything was about power and control. Yeah. And I don't and didn't understand literally the concept of free will free choice. Like, so I think well, I just,
1: let me provide some clarity for people that <laughs> don't know your wife. <laughs> um, Beth is her name. And she, um, has did it wasn't her major in theology one of them or
2: she has a degree in theology right. yes so music education and theology Yes. so she knows the bible well
1: yes so you know being able to uh have somebody with that much of an education surrounding the bible and faith um i mean i just i get chills because uh for me i had a full circle moment um with I experienced some I did not grow up in a cult, but I experienced some spiritual spiritual abuse in my trajectory of life and everything, and so I definitely went through a period where I rejected faith and or shelled it and what have you, and came back miraculously for me because I I don't know some things happened and I I'm so glad I have faith again because it's such a big part of my life. Um, it looks different than it did when I grew up. Cause it's not the inherited view that I got from my parents and whatever. So, um, but having gone through what you went through, how much of a blessing full circle moment is it that somebody came into your life that was able to talk to you in a way that made you feel safe yeah. and present an alternative view of yeah. a relationship with a higher being, you know, and
2: I think, I think that. I often reflect today on how I truly believe that I believe in God, I believe in a higher power a thousand and ten percent and it's not because of the Bible for me it's not because of the Bible and it's not because of churches um it is because I really feel like every experience that I experienced the trauma the led me to being where I am today. Like, I really believe that everything was preparing me for the life that I have today, which is far better, um, richer, fuller, deeper, um, and really more connected to others than I think I ever could have imagined before. Um, And so I have nothing but gratitude for that. I have nothing but gratitude for that person who said that prayer on the first day of school. And I mean, for my wife, I can't talk about it. I'll just start weeping because I'm just, I'm just so thankful. So
1: we didn't really necessarily skip over it, but I just want to touch on it a little bit more. What, um, what did therapy do for you when we're talking about specifically, I know that there were a lot of things that you had to, um, pick apart and work on and everything outside of this. Um, like we all do uh, in therapy, But, but specifically to the spiritual abuse and once you finally got to that, what did your work surrounding that do for you?
2: I think that processing through what I was taught was God, but actually experiencing what I believe to be is God was, I mean, it, it transformed my life. There's you, I, I've had conversations and in processing where someone said to me one time, you just never knew Jesus. Like you didn't know God, like you knew a church, you knew a doctrine, you knew people, but maybe you just didn't know that. Um, and that used to kind of annoy me because I felt like, well, why isn't God more accessible then (laughs) like, (laughs) why why is it so, like, why is it so hard to reach? Um, But hearing that and now where I am in life, I feel that presence, Mm. you know, a lot of times, and this is the full circle moment. Like it's when I'm working, It's when I'm literally doing what we're doing, when I'm sitting down and I'm looking at another person, I feel this like moment of like, I know that this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And there is something from somewhere kind of filling and fueling these spaces. It's not about me, which I think is the huge difference from the church that I grew up in when everything was about you and where everything was about what you can control and all of those things to now sit in spaces where I just show up and whatever happens happens and everything that's supposed to happen does. Mm. And that, that's, that's why I believe in God. Um, and it is, it happens more often than not when I'm doing my work. Mm.
1: Beautiful. Speaking of your work, before we hop off here, I want to talk about that because, um, You've been a world changer for some time. It's a phrase that I often say on this show, but I think it's so apt. Uh, I don't even know if that's the right word. Uh, so appropriate for um, for the people like you that I talk to every week, um, because you're doing so much in your world, in the world uh, to affect change in the lives of others. And um, I think when I think about, you know, the the pain and suffering that so many of us experience, you know, that people come on here and talk about, like we did today, um, in in your life, but then turning it around to be this um, to ignite change for the better in the world, to leave it a better place, um, and um, you are doing some really cool things in the world of therapy in Nashville with Hampton House. And I just want you to talk a little bit about what that mission and vision is and uh, how people can.
2: So, yeah, Hampton House is my um, it's a it's a it is a dream that is being realized that I didn't even know that I had, if that makes any sense. And I think so much of what we talked about today it's, it's, it's so relevant to what Hampton House is. So Hampton House is a counseling center where I am the clinical director as well as therapist. And my wife, Beth, she runs the practice. So she manages um, all of our client relationships and therapist relationships. And so um, when I when I do my work, right, I bring pieces of my story, person of color, gay, you know person that grew up in a high control group but wants to believe in god and does believe in a god and so um i didn't get a lot of space for that in my journey of healing and growing and so my goal for hampton house is to be a space for all people to show up exactly as they are um and feel seen known and understood and so what that looks like is i want my clinicians to come from spaces that, that look different, um, but that look so similar to other people. And so, you know, we we obviously specialize in BIPOC and LGBT care, um, but also what what is it like to bring up religious dissonance mm. in our in our spaces? What's it like to say I am someone who was wronged by a church, and that makes me feel uncomfortable because I do believe in something or I want to believe in something. Um, and so, with with Hampton House my goal is for every person to feel represented and that that starts with our clinicians. Um, but it also kind of goes out into the community. And so that that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create a space where people can show up and talk about all of these really complex and uncomfortable. Again, we're in the South topics yeah. where there's not be judgment or shame from their, from their clinicians.
1: Yeah. And I love that. I love that so much. Um, so, uh, how can people get in touch with you and follow you on social media? Because I want to mention, we're going to provide some helpline info um, if you are across state lines. If you're in the state of Tennessee, licensure covers that, you know. So, um, Ashley and Hampton House can be of assistance um, in that regard. But we're wow. also to provide some help lines In addition to that, how can people follow um, the great content you're putting out there uh, regularly?
2: um content. So we have an Instagram, Hampton House Counseling. Um and then also, you know, our website is hamptonhousecounseling.com and really the the best way to connect and like something that we love to do is, you know, go out and we we talk within our community about different topics, you know. So we love doing that and the easiest way is there's like a contact form on our page or a phone number and so if something like this is something that folks have struggled with, i love for people to give us a call and if we can help, we do. And if, if there's a therapist out there that's better, that, that has more experience in different areas, love to be able to be able to provide those resources as well, because I think there is a huge gap in yes. the comfortability of care. Yep. And so I'm okay being a first point of contact, whether it's they're going to stay with Hampton House or we're going to find somewhere else better for them. Um, but just so that people know that we're going to be a safe space where they can call with whatever's going on.
1: Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. This has been so great.
2: Thank you. Patrick.
1: Um, well, I, uh, this has definitely been, um, one of my favorite episodes. Uh, it's, it's so different and, um, it touches on, um, you know, it, so many different things. Uh, and I'm so, so grateful for your vulnerability. Um, this is the first time you're telling your story publicly like this. And I know that so many, we hold our stories close. I mean, you know, it's our, it, it is, um, it's just a big deal. So thank you for doing that coming on this platform to do so. Um, in closing, I just want to ask you to leave a word of encouragement for anybody watching who has identified with, what you're talking about and um, maybe feels like they need to make a change. What would you like to leave them with?
2: That there can be a different path or there is, there is often a different way of being than what we grew up in. And if we can hold space for openness and curiosity, um, we, we might be able to find other ways that, that feel better for us. Mm-hmm. I, it makes me sad if we get stuck in our experiences and because we don't feel safe enough yep. to find a different, better or healthier path. Right. So I think that would be my, my word of encouragement. It doesn't have to be what it was.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Ashley Hampton. You're the best.
2: Thank you. All right. Aww. And to
1: everyone, I'm going to close out like I always do um, and remind you all that you are only one decision away from a completely different life and it is never too late to start loving yourself.
0: For more information on today's episode, check out the show notes. Recovery Stories is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions or ready to take the next step, call our Admission Center at 888-648-4098 or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please share with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are grateful for you and hope that you have been encouraged by today's episode. As always, remember you are only one decision away from a completely different life, and it is never too late to start loving yourself.